Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may, be, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deeds may be in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they had their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Verse 16, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us what it means to serve you, both privately and publicly. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Every natural source of light is fueled by something. Whether wood, coal, oil, or something else. When we remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 16, that you are the light of the world, we, we think that we're just passive. We think of ourselves as mirrors, that we, we kind of flip the verse and say, actually, he's the light of the world because we're too spiritual to say we're the light of the world, but Jesus said we're the light of the world. So what gives? You ever thought about that? It's true. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Now, of course, He is the one where we know that God is light. He is also, we're told, a consuming fire. But Paul says that one day we will stand before God and our works will be burned. What does that look like? Well, it's not hard to imagine when our works meet the glorious 
fiery presence of God, what's, what will happen? Something will happen to those works. Paul tells us. He doesn't leave us to question it. Those works will either be consumed and rendered to nothing or they will be displayed as glorious. In this passage, Jesus says that our works of piety will be for glory. Your works, your good works, will be for glory. Either the temporal glory of man or the eternal glory of God. If we are, as Jesus said, the light of the world, and we are because He said it, our works should then reflect the glory of God. Now normally we divide this passage into smaller pieces. Concentrating once on giving, later on prayer, and then on fasting. And somehow the Lord's Prayer fits into all this. But there's more going on than a merely detailed explanation of prayer, giving, and fasting. And actually, sometimes we can, we can avoid the bigger point that Jesus is making by breaking things down. We are scientific people. We love breaking things down. We break things down in our sleep. We, 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 we all the time think, if I can just break this down into smaller pieces, take this verse, divide it into words, individual words, if I know exactly, and, and that's fine. But also, when we break things down, sometimes putting it all back together is... Well, it, it's, it's like a piece of glass that you, you just break. It doesn't always go back together the right way. So we have to be careful that in breaking down what Jesus is saying, we don't miss His bigger point. This is building on previous explanation, His previous explanation of the law, when He explained the broader implications of the heart, which is associated with keeping the law. Remember, the law is not... Just a fence to guard our actions. It's not just don't do this and do that, which is honestly how a lot of times we, we treat God's Word. Certainly what the outside world thinks of God's Word. But the law is a path, Jesus presents, as, as leading us to, to virtue or what He says in those first several verses, happiness, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so on. Well, then Jesus spoke in Matthew 5 about anger, lust, divorce, and oaths. So these are the things you should not give yourselves to. But it's not just a defensive war. You're not just trying to keep all the, the, the sin out. He says, so when you're doing that, then you go on the offensive. And the offensive... It's not very appealing to our flesh either. It's things like overcoming evil with good. It's imitating our Father by loving our enemies. It may seem when we come to Matthew 6 that these three acts are actually a break. You know, prayer, giving, fasting, that they're a break from what Jesus was saying, but that's actually an illusion. This is all together one sermon. 
They all have basis in the Old Testament. And they're also expected in the New Covenant. And most of all, they are how these acts, they're not exclusively how we grow in this way, but these acts are part of Jesus' teaching on how we grow in glory. In each of these warnings, there are three parts. First, it's clear that giving, prayer, and fasting are all expected. Jesus says, when you do a charitable deed or when you give, when you pray, when you fast. So it's anticipated. It's not do, you know, j j just pray if it feels right to you. I mean, really, how often do you feel like praying? I can either do this one thing, which feels like it's really important, or if I don't have anything else to do, well, I guess I could pray. Well, no, we have to make a choice, a pointed place for prayer and also giving. Is giving ever convenient? Do you ever think, you know, I just look forward to writing this check. I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, sometimes, hopefully it's a joy, but, but it may not be, but it's still expected. But then, after, we're, after we, we see that it is expected... It's also, for each of these things, there was reward associated with them. I mean, with each of them, Jesus says, you should do this, and if you do this humbly, quietly, then your reward will be from the Father Himself. Don't do it to be rewarded by men. And lastly... Because we know that there is, there is reward. He teaches that flaunting our piety, or what some of us call virtue signaling, is a temptation. We normally think of virtue signaling in the, the super liberal way. That's something only those people out there do. And we know, we, Brian talked about it this morning in the exhortation, we know what their virtue signaling looks like. Every group has its virtue signaling, though. We all know what piety looks like. This is a Reformed church. So if you talk trash about the Westminster Confession, you may not, somebody may not say anything to your face, but quietly they'll be, we'll pray for that person. And just go through. Whatever it is, we know what the standards are. We know. So when you're in a group, you learn how to, how to signal what virtue is, right? Well, look, there is a such thing as virtue, and we should walk in it. Jesus' warning is that we don't do it for the praise of men, though. It's not just that sinful virtue signaling, you know, sinning like the world wants you to sin is bad. Doing good things for the glory of men is bad. So let's consider each of these in turn briefly. So first of all, verse 1, that word uh, charitable deeds there is actually... It's a reference to everything Jesus will talk about. It's not just almsgiving. 
a good translation is, take heed that you don't do your righteousness before men, your good acts. And that includes not only giving, it also includes prayer and fasting. Verse 1 is an introduction to what Jesus will say in the coming verses. But, but we know that giving was needed. As he'll talk about giving then specifically in verses 2 through 4. Giving was needed in a time when there was no government aid to the poor, and many lived day to day. One way to establish yourself at that time as a pillar in society was to help others who had needs. We've, you've heard of the term benefactor before. A benefactor is one who helps, who has money, who helps one who does not have the background, the, 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 the parental income to go to uh, higher education and things like that. So you could show that you're a generous person by being a benefactor. And of course, if you're a good, faithful covenant member at the time, you would give to the temple. You would give and some of that money would go towards you know, helping the Levites and so on. All of these things were demonstrations, or they could be demonstrations. But the problem is not that other people find out. Other people will find out. If you're faithful long enough, you cannot hide it. But the problem, Jesus says, is when you take steps to make sure other people find out. Similar instructions mark Jesus' warnings about prayer. But this time, instead of blowing a trumpet, as he says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you. This is just humor, okay? This is Jesus giving a little bit of sarcasm, hyperbole. Because I can tell you, you didn't have religious leaders sounding a trumpet literally when they were giving. But they were, making, they were ensuring, well, the same way with prayer, but, but now with prayer, their voice is the trumpet. The hypocrites like to be seen praying. They like to be heard praying. They want to be known as people of prayer. And you say, what's wrong with that? And I would say, nothing's wrong with it. If you are known as a person who prays, that's a great thing. Would that all God's people were known as people of prayer. But there's a temptation for anyone who prays in front of others to do so for man's attention. That's not to say public prayer is a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing. But the one who prays publicly, and this is especially true for elders. Elders have to watch this carefully because the one who, who prays, who stands before others, who leads God's people must humbly consider why he's doing what he's doing. We've all known people who are showmen, right? We know what it looks like. We usually can identify it in other people better than we can in ourselves. So this is, this is part of the warning. 
After giving us then the classic example known as the Lord's Prayer, which we will look at in the future, Jesus returns to warnings, this time on fasting. Now, like other practices, this has Old Testament precedence, but can be used as a badge of righteousness, a way of exalting yourself before others. Now, we don't have public fasting practices at least in our tradition, the way that others do. We are actually tempted sometimes to think because people use this too much, because other traditions exalt themselves in fasting, we're going we're gonna to show them we're not going to fast at all. But that's not the answer. Jesus doesn't say, because hypocrites fast, don't fast. Now, it's true, in the Old Testament, there was one mandated day of fasting. It was the Day of Atonement, a day when they would afflict their souls. But we see many other times in Scripture, an individual or a group basis, they would fast when they were mourning, when they were confessing sins, or they were earnestly seeking God's guidance or deliverance. And you know what? Often the prayer would be answered in fasting. Remember Daniel? In Daniel chapter 10, he, had been, he knew that there was a time coming, that, that there, there was something going on, and he was, he was confessing this, his sin and the sin of God's people, and he was giving himself to prayer and fasting. And he did so for 21 days. And it was only after 21 days, through his prayer and fasting, when the, he had a vision and the angel came to him and said, Do not fear, because I've been battling with the prince of Persia. And it's only now that I was able to break through with Michael, the archangel's help, to come to you. No, I'm not going to try to explain all of that right here, right now. But the point is, there is something going on when this faithful prophet of God was fasting. Or when King Jehoshaphat was threatened. He and his people were threatened by their enemies. What did they do? They afflicted themselves with prayer and fasting, and then the Lord gave His answer to them, and they were saved when they obeyed. So this is needed. Now, does fasting gain anything before God? No. It does not merit you anything. Just like when one of your children goes above and beyond, when you say, I need you to clean out our van. And not only do they clean out the van, but they clean the garage as well. What do you do? Did, did they just, did they cause you to, did that child make, cause you to love him or her more? Like, oh man, I love you so much more now than I did before that. Well, I hope not. But it is a demonstration that that child desires to please. Well, fasting adds weight to prayer when done for the purpose of devoting one's attention to God. 
So why does Jesus specify giving, prayer, and fasting? Because all of these are associated with glory. With God demonstrating His greatness in our lives and in the lives of His people. So we're going to go to a, to a few different passages and consider this. First of all, you have famous passage, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Many of you have heard this usually when the church was a little bit strapped financially and pastors feel led to preach on it. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And prove me now, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now think about that. When Jesus says, bring this here, He's not saying, or excuse me, when Malachi says to, to, to bring that, the people were called to give. But what is the result of that? It's that God would then pour out His gifts on His people. He says, do this, and then I will demonstrate my greatness and my power beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. What about prayer? Where, where, where do we see God's glory demonstrated in prayer? Well, well I, I've given some examples in the Old Testament. One interesting place, though, is Revelation chapter 8. We read, Another archangel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it, and, and offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings and an earthquake. It's not just that the incense was there on the altar before God. The incense was mingled with the prayers of the saints and that caused the glory of God to be poured forth. Or even in Mark 11, verses 22 through 24, Jason preached on this a while back. Jesus said, Have faith in God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he asks. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. This can be uncomfortable for us, right? Because we know the people that take this to excess... So again, what is our temptation? Our temptation is to make sure we have a wreck on the other, in the other ditch. So we're going to believe that Jesus didn't actually mean that. Or He meant it in some way that we can't understand and that He's actually probably, you know, you, you ask something and even if it's a good thing, you know, you got about a, about a one in five chance of getting it. Well, we have no idea what He is doing, okay? That, that's a given. But Jesus is telling His disciples there that when you pray, when you're praying for something especially that He has declared will be done, when you're praying, Lord, Your kingdom come. When you're praying, send out saints 
into your world and to, to receive the harvest. Bring, that, bring the wicked to nothing and their plans to nothing. These are righteous prayers. And we should pray them with confidence. When you have an, a true need and you're praying, God delights in showing His goodness. And you know, in Matthew 6, He actually gives more attention. He gives more attention here and then later on in a place that I, I'm honestly really excited about when I get to preach on the latter part of Matthew 6 because He talks about how much He enjoys showing Himself strong to His people. But hey, He tells us just a little bit here when he says, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. He's aware. He knows what you need, but he still tells you to pray. And then, of course, with fasting. We see fasting in Isaiah chapter 58. It's associated with God's glory. Verses 6 through 8. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you would break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you can bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked and you cover them, you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. If you say, what can I do in a world that looks like it totally turned its back on the Almighty? Do you want to see more of God's glory demonstrated in the world. Walk in piety in the things Jesus tells us here. You say, but I don't see the correlation here. I don't. It's in there. It's in Scripture. It's right there. And Isaiah says, if you follow through with this, you fast not just so you can flaunt yourself, but so that you can take what you can take it and you can give. And yes, in there is prayer as well. God said, I will send my light, my glory to the earth. These are all wonderful things. God is demonstrating his goodness to us when we follow them for the right reason. It's not that we bring glory. It's not that, again, we, it's not that, that we, we, we check off these things, A, B, and C, and if we do it all just right, then He will give. No, it, it doesn't work like that. We obey in the little things, and God's reward is to show His glory in the world. These aren't just random acts but pivotal to the blessing and the growth of God's kingdom. And again, that glory, though, for us, we want it. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we all desire, and it's not wrong to desire reward, to, to, to see the Lord's favor upon us for doing what He's called us to do. 
The language of reward shows up in verse 1, 2, 5, 16, and then it culminates in verse 19 where Jesus warns us about where we lay up those treasures. Have you ever put the, the language of treasure and reward together? What do we do most of the time? When we come to verse 19 where he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, we immediately shift in our minds. We say, okay, Jesus is not talking about what he's just talking about. Jesus said, stop that paragraph, next paragraph, totally different subheading. Now I'm going to talk to you about money. Right? He didn't do that. He's been talking about rewards, about gifts, about glory. And then he says, don't lay up your treasures on earth. What is the treasure on earth? It's the glory of men that we so often pursue. Is money a part of it? Sure, money's a part of it. But imagine a billionaire father, one who has all this money, and, who, and who, who has a child, and that child will then inherit a portion of the money. And so this dad is, is trying to, to teach his child to be wise. And, he, and, and he, so he tells the child, and, and the child already has a large bank account at five years old, you know, j just twenty or 30000 I mean, you know, for a billionaire, it's not that much. See, but so, so the dad's saying, you need to learn to save and the child thinks, okay, I've got to save, so I don't need to use all the pages in my coloring book. That's, that's what he means. Well, that's true, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. Because this father is wealthy, and this child will inherit it. So it's not just about the small things. Well, when we immediately apply verse 19 to just money, we are neglecting the bigger thing. It's not just money, because I'll tell you what, I'm not a prophet, but I'm guessing most of us will not be billionaires. Praise God if, if you are. <laughs> but it probably won't happen. But there's other treasures, and we all pursue them. So Jesus is telling us in verse 19 to not pursue the tempor temporal rewards of man's approval, but to do these things for the right reason. And when we do these things, when we give sacrificially, when we pray, when we fast, that is preparing us, but it's also preparing the world. We are laying up, in our, in our good works here, we are laying up a foundation for the new world, for the new creation. We're building now. The treasures in heaven, Jesus speaks of, aren't just the things we're waiting on till we die. It's treasure that God will manifest in the world in His time. And we lay up these treasures in giving, in prayer, in fasting, in the pursuit of righteousness. That's why pursuing piety for the wrong reasons is so dangerous. We are foregoing the inheritance He has for us. 
When, when, when we pursue man's glory, when we try to be seen of men immediately, we are short-circuiting the reward promised by God. Because, brothers and sisters, we're made for glory. You are created to manifest, to demonstrate God's glory. And the day will come, by God's grace, that you will, in your resurrected being, you will look like one, as C.S. Lewis said, that if we were to see now, we would be tempted to fall down and worship. That's the type of glory we're, looking, we're talking about. That's what, that's what we're made for. But we all want glory on our timetable. We want our work seen. We want our virtue without discipline. We want glory without suffering. And we want reward without sacrifice. So we bring a market mentality to our practices of piety. I do this, God gives me this. But that's not how it works. We do our works quietly. We should do our works quietly unto God. He then receives them and uses our works as He sees fit. And then in time, we receive His blessings. So this requires from us a good bit of faith. Because we're giving ourselves to God and we're risking. We're risking that other people are not going to see. We're doing things that nobody else knows about. Good and bad. Have you ever done something that you just deep down part of you wish that someone else could, could see it and acknowledge it? Can I tell you something? Someone does. Not just one single human. Every good work you do is seen by your heavenly Father. And when He sees your work that you do, even when no one else sees it, when He sees you resisting temptation, when He sees you pursuing righteousness, when He hears your prayers that you're offering that no one else knows about, but you're, but you're offering it unto Him, He sees and He welcomes it. God's kingdom, Jesus said, does not come with immediate observation. It's not something that we can see happening like we see the sun rising and setting. It's planting. It's reaping. It's being a servant, doing the unassuming work that many never notice. But friend, God notices. When one day our works are tried with the fire of God, the good things you've done, the gold, silver, the precious gems that you've laid up in humble acts of piety will not just be known by your heavenly Father, but your works will be rewarded openly. And you won't just be lauded there, but you will see how the things you've done in this life were a part of God's greater plan in bringing the world to renewal. That's what we're working for. But I can assure you, 
in those times when you ask yourself, does anybody even care? God does. He looks at you, and you can be assured, He says, when you are faithful, well done. In preparation for the final day, when He will look at you and say, well done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May we receive it. May we grow and fulfill the calling you've given us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.